It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And this is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, the last day of March, March 31st, 2016. Thank you for joining us on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. At least it's not April Fool's Day. Yeah, my father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Hey, Jacob. Good to be with you tonight. Josh is behind the controls tonight. Josh, thanks for coming tonight. Thanks for having me. Good forward to some comments from you. And uh, we'll look forward to hearing from you at 877-381-4567 or questions at collegeview.com. We've got listener-submitted questions tonight, Jacob, but they're on just two themes. Uh, and so we're going to talk tonight about the Lord's Supper. Yep. Really some mechanics about the serving of the Lord's Supper and how it's to be done and so forth. Yeah, we might not have answers to all these questions. Right, and then we've got questions that have been come, that have come in as a follow-up to our uh, recent long study of marriage and divorce that okay. we did. Uh, and there were some follow-up questions. We did not get into, a, uh, uh, purposefully didn't get into a lot of specifics, uh, but we're going to deal with with a few specific questions that came in to see if we can offer some help. All right, like uh, you know, what happens if uh, someone is divorced and the other spouse dies? Can they remarry? Things like that. We'll talk about that at the as the program goes on, but we'll start with the Lord's Supper tonight. You want yeah. to give us those questions that we're going to look at for yeah. the Lord's Supper? Yeah, we sent out these questions earlier today to our update list. Remember to get on our list. If you're not, send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. And don't forget the bumper stickers, too. We're still getting out some bumper stickers. We had uh, had a request from somebody I didn't know. Someone sent me an email and said, I've been listening for six or seven years. Send me a bumper sticker. First time we've heard from First it. time we've heard from that person. Thank so, you. So there's a lot of people out there who don't identify themselves in the chat room or maybe listen in the archives. And that's fine. You don't have to. But if you'd like to, just send us an email. Let us know that you listen. We'd like to hear from you. Tell us where you are. And Uh, we'd love to get you a bumper sticker. You can do a little free advertising for us. All right. Yeah. So questions at collegeview.com if you want a bumper sticker. Yeah, you don't. We we need your snail mail. We need your snail mail if you're going to want a bumper sticker. You just want to give us an air check there. just send that in. Let yeah, we'd love to hear where you are and where yeah. you're listening from, so yeah. let us know. Okay. So anyway, to our list today, we sent out these questions about the Lord's Supper. I, let's just do these one at a time. No use going no through all of them. All right, number one. Well, let's just start out with number one. Our, and, and in fact, by the way, in regards to these questions, these all came from one listener. All four of them were, were in one email from one listener, but there's a lot of questions here. Number one. Are there requirements that must be met or followed during the Lord's Supper by the men serving? I'm thinking about such things as giving thanks, literally breaking the bread, the order of the bread first, then the fruit of the vine, and so forth. Okay. All right. Well, uh, we're going to go through a lot of questions about the Lord's Supper here that he asked. But uh, I, I think, uh, first of I would offer, first of all, a sort of an overriding principle from 1 Corinthians 14, verse 40. Let all things be done decently and in order. In that context, uh, Paul was dealing with how they were to conduct their worship services. Specifically, in that context, he was talking about the use of spiritual gifts in their assemblies. Uh, but he made, the, he made the comment, let all things be done de- decently in order. And that would apply to us. Uh, he also said all things ought to edify. Yes. Uh, and, and so, uh, you know, we ought to conduct ourselves in such a way as to be encouraging, building up the, the the people in the assembly, going about it in an orderly, decent way that's not a distraction. You know, I, I would think particularly in regards to the Lord's Supper, we wouldn't want to do anything that would be distracting to the assembly. And there's a lot of things that do happen that are distracting. I mean, there, it's the only time or the practice that many congregations have where there's that many men standing up at one time. So there's plenty of opportunity for distractions, and we ought to take we ought to we ought to take the effort to 
eliminate as many of those as we can. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, for instance, just uh, he says about the men, uh, something as simple as knowing where you're to be, what, what position you're to take. You know, I, I have been in assemblies where it looked like a Chinese fire drill as the guys went up there and then they're all dodging back and forth trying to figure out who's supposed to stand where, you know. Yeah. Uh, it, it, something as simple as just knowing where you're supposed to go, uh, yeah. traffic flow, traffic so flow. that it's not a distraction. We're not saying that that would be a sin if you accidentally got in the wrong spot and had right. to change places with some. But it, it's best to to think about that so as to not distract anybody who who's in, trying to focus on the important things we're supposed to remember during the Lord's Supper. Yeah, just a long story short, men who are participating take time to think about how you could be affected. Even if you don't, if you're not speaking, if you're just carrying the trays, think about your how you're going to present yourself, how you're going to behave, and make sure that it is in such a way that it will be edifying and in order. Yeah, this sort of goes, this second question that he had sort of ties in with us. Do you have suggestions for those who serve the Lord's Supper, like preparing ahead of time, knowing what you're doing, dress, and so forth? In regards to dress, you know, I don't, I don't know, I, I I've heard plenty of accusations made, but I have never known. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but I have never personally been involved in a congregation where a where a, a dress code was enforced. But I think that the men who are serving, I, I think we all, when we come to worship, ought to give some thought to what we're wearing when we worship. Uh, again, to be respectful and not distracting. But in particular, if you're going to have a public role in conducting the service, then that should be taken into consideration. You know, I I was at a place I, more than once. I've been at a place where uh, young men, in particular, got up to serve the Lord's supper, and they were wearing T-shirts with logos on them. Yeah. You know, which, you know, which seemed just really disrespectful and inappropriate for what we're doing there. Yeah, Josh, well, Josh, got a thought on that? Yeah. Wait a minute, well, let's there, get Josh. you up here. A little closer. Oh, let's see. Uh, go ahead a little closer there, Josh. Okay, I was just thinking along the lines of, you know, it's a, it's a respectful thing, the way that you dress. You should uh, have the proper attitude. You're giving your best to God. And so, you know, at the bottom line, if you, you're wanting to dress to present yourself, as, as it's an attitude kind of thing. I think it just reflects your attitude of reverence toward God. So I, think I, I think it does, too. And, you know, if I come in on a Sunday morning and... and uh, Let's say that my car broke down on the way, and I, and I ended up getting dirty and greasy, changing a tire or trying to get the car running. I I had planned to be neatly dressed for services, but now I'm, I look a, a fright. Well, you know that'd be an easy thing just to ask someone to take my spot. You know, to, yeah, so right. that so that you know, there's just a lot of common sense sort of thing. A lot of these are judgment calls i think for sure they're judgment calls but i do think in regards to dress that the men ought to consider that dressing appropriately so again that they're not a distraction to anybody and you know you don't want people saying look at that guy can you believe the way he's dressed instead of quietly contemplating the crucifixion of of the savior you know you you don't want to be that person who makes them think about something else all right now, uh, to the first question again, what are some requirements for men uh, serving? Specifically, what about giving thanks? Should someone give thanks? Well, I, I think that when we conduct the Lord's Supper, we very much imitate the pattern that Jesus set forth when he instituted it. In, Agreed. In, in Matthew chapter 26, uh, Jesus took the bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is the blood of my New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Uh, should we give thanks? Well, when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, he did. Being thankful is a good thing any time, but specifically when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, he did that. There's a verse that we want to reference in the future, I think, but 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? So they were... First-century Christians were following that example and blessing Good. and praying uh, before partaking. Yeah. Okay. All right. So uh, I do think we. I, I. I think that. I've again, over many years, I've never known of an instance where that wasn't done. But I think there's certainly biblical authority 
even biblical precedent and necessity for giving thanks for the bread and the fruit of the vine. All right. I think we would go to what Jesus said and did as our example. All right. Now, so you say follow his pattern. Now, the next question then dovetails into that. Should we literally break the bread? The passage you just read, after he had blessed it, he broke the bread. Yeah, yeah uh, uh, I've actually kind of gone through a process of thinking on it. Years ago, I would have thought, yes, do it exactly that way. You bless it first, and then you literally break it into pieces. Okay. Uh, but I think that if you'll do a word study on that, uh, when it says he bless it and break it and gave it to the disciples, that the breaking of it is the idea of distributing it among the disciples. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, there are people who take the position that the the bread needs to be in one sh- one contiguous shape mm-hmm. until it is blessed, and then it should be literally broken in pieces to be distributed among those who are observing the Lord's Supper. And I, I I have been in that I have been in one who held that position, but I don't think I can sustain it for this reason. In an assembly of any size, that becomes a practical impossibility. For instance, in the church at Jerusalem, which had three thousand members the very first day it began, and then thousands more in short order, how big a piece of bread are you going to have to have it in one piece? Yeah. So that you can bless it before you break it into pieces to distribute it. That, that, that would have been impossible. Yeah. And so I don't think that is necessary. And I actually think that the terminology there where it says he blessed and break it and gave it to the disciples suggests the idea of distributing it among them rather than making some. Some people try to make something of the, the literal act of breaking the bread. And I, and I don't think the I don't think the context of Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper uh, necessarily bears that out. Yes, I would. I think that's a, a good interpretation there. As you mentioned, Acts chapter two, uh, the, the the Jerusalem church would make that uh, seem to be impossible if they have to break. It has to be broken there. It has to be one loaf to begin with. Um. So yeah, you know, this is the same argument, by the way. Although our our questioner didn't ask us about multiple containers. You know, that's one of the arguments that I think sort of denies the concept of a one cup. You know, there are are those who think we must all drink out of one cup. Well, I don't think, I I think Luke's account suggests that even at at when Jesus instituted Lord's Supper, they all had their own cups. That's debatable, but I'm of that opinion. But again, go to the Jerusalem church. How are you going to have a cup big enough that 3,000 plus people can drink out of it? All at, you know, in the same occasion. Matthew 8, verse 19, seems to support your idea that this idea of breaking is a dividing. And Jesus is recounting the feeding of the 5,000. He says, when I break the five loaves among the 5,000, how many baskets full fragments no, took you up? He distributed it among the 5,000. It's, 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 it's I don't know what the, the terminology is for that use of language, but it's a, it's represented in the fact he divided that among mm-hmm, 5,000. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, he didn't, like, I didn't, like, he like, literally broke it while he was in the group of 5,000, or did he distribute it to the 5,000? So, okay. Yeah. So, that, I do think, uh, you know, I, I don't think that we need to make a sig- significance of breaking bread. I was just recently in contact with some Christians who really thought that was a necessity, you know, and that, that they thought that the church was really making a mistake and not making some significance of the literal breaking of the bread but i don't i don't see it in the text if someone disagrees by all means let us know in all of this sort of thing certainly follow your conscience sure. if you, if you right. feel like yeah. conscientiously it's necessary i wouldn't i wouldn't argue somebody not yeah. to do it if they felt right. that their conscience dictated the order of the bread first and then the fruit of the vine yes uh yeah again why would you do it a different way if that's the order that jesus did it why would you do it a different way I, yes uh, you know, c- could someone argue that there's significance? Bread first, fruit of the vine second, the body of Christ first, yep. then his blood. I don't know. I, I don't think the scriptures identify that significance if it's there. Uh, but again, I, I would wonder what would be the motivation for someone to do it otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. It's the way that uh, he did it. It's the way in Acts, in 1 Corinthians 11 that Paul recounts how he did it. He did that first, and then he did the fruit of the vine. So if we want to 
follow our Savior, we would do it the way that he did it there. Yeah. Um, I was trying to look here real quick. Uh, uh, I think it's in Luke's account. Uh, uh, Yeah, Luke, uh, this is Luke 22. Luke 22, verse 17. He took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I will not drink the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God come, shall come. And he took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. I knew a young man years and years and years ago who at his first occasion to serve, to sort of preside, as we say, or officiate at the Lord's table. He, he did the, the fruit of the vine first. And the bread second, when someone asked him about that, he said, well, that's what Luke's account says. But if you read that carefully, Luke's account does not say that. In fact, this is what I was mentioning. Luke's account, I think, implies they had their own drinking containers. So he divided fruit of vine among them. But then they did the bread and then they did the fruit of the vine. The order is the same there. But I think that that statement when he says he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this divided among yourselves. I think that suggests that. Multiple drinking containers there in Luke chapter 22, verse 17. But the order of bread and then for the vine is still borne out as you continue to read in that context. All right. Some good comments in the chat room tonight. 87.42 says, when Paul reiterated the events of the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 11, remember, he was correcting their misuse of such. He included the giving of thanks. So 87.42 says, yes, we should be giving thanks. Yeah. Uh, guest 19 says, Vine says that blessed means to consecrate a thing with solemn prayers to g- ask God's blessing on a thing. Uh, examples, Luke 19, verse 16, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16. And guest 19 asks, what are your thoughts on whether we ask God to bless it or wh- whether we do the blessing? Um uh, I don't know. I don't, uh, I don't I know. Don't know. How, how would we bless? Well, he says to bless something means to basically to oh, oh, okay, to yes. set it apart, to okay. consecrate a thing with solemn prayers, to ask God's blessing for something. Uh, okay. But I really do think we're asking God to bless the process. Okay. Now we may we may be consecrating it or devoting it or setting right. it aside, but we're actually asking God okay. uh, to bless what we're doing. Okay. I guess I would make that distinction, although I don't know how to answer that question exactly. Okay, good comments. If anybody else has any thoughts in the chat room, let us know. Let's get a break. What do you say? And then when we get back, um, some out-of-the-ordinary things that have happened. Some some weird things that have happened. Maybe we might get some stories out of the chat room on that, because I think there probably have been some unusual things. Yeah, those of you in the chat room, anything ever happen weirdly uh, when you were in an assembly observing the Lord's Supper. All right. Let us know your thoughts. We'll take them when we get back. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Now you can listen to a podcast of a recent sermon every week. Find out more at collegeview.com. There's more of the virtual Bible study right after these important messages. I'm Dan Quillen, a member of the College View Church of Christ, with some thoughts about making plans. Have you made any different plans for your spiritual life and for your service for God? We spend time prioritizing personal lives and setting goals in our careers, but do we think in those terms about the most important thing, our soul? Ask yourself these questions. What am I planning to do for God today? In the coming week, what good thoughts will I accomplish for Him? At this time next year, where do I want to be in my spiritual life? In five years from now, how will I have changed, improved, and grown in my work for God? Ten years from today, how will my family be? How will I have helped them grow spiritually? Twenty years down the road, how will I be doing? As I approach death, what will have been the most important things in my life? Where will I be in eternity? Here's some quotes worth pondering. Do the right thing, not the comfortable thing. What we need is people who really believe and who live what they say. God measures the heart. Externally, we can fool all the people most of the time, but God never. The truly faithful person continues doing right even when no one is watching. What you really believe is shown by what you do, not what you say. Don't grumble if you don't have what you want. Be thankful you don't get what you deserve. We live what we believe. All the rest is just religious talk. 
You can die with serenity if you live for eternity. Man, wish I'd said that. Quit checking your email. The commercials are over and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. Back on the program tonight as we talk about various questions submitted by our listeners, a good time to remind you if you've got questions you'd like to discuss in this format or like to hear discussed in this format, maybe something you've been studying just wonder about, maybe somebody's posed a question to you you had difficulty answering. That's not saying we're the answer, man. We may nope. we may have trouble answering. We got a too. resource here. We got a room full, a chat room full of listeners who can yeah. help. Yeah. Uh, questions at collegeview.com is the email address to use. Okay, talking about the Lord's Supper, some out of the ordinary things that have happened. Nothing in the chat room yet, but maybe as we go along, some things well, will be. Well, before we get to that, there was one other thing about preparing ahead of time, and knowing what you're doing. You know, I think all aspects of worship deserve our best. And if we're going to do our best, then we plan ahead right. for it. You know, we, we want the song leader to plan his songs, you know, and certainly the fellow who's going to make some comments at the Lord's table to direct our thoughts as we prepare to, to observe the Lord's Supper. You know, that, that should be more than just off the cuff remarks at the last moment. And there's no honor in being able to come with, up with a thought off the cuff. I, I think a lot, some some guys sort of take pride in, oh, I didn't know what I was going to say until I got up there. I sort of figured it out on the fly. Look at me. I I can think on my feet. Well, chances are you probably can't think on your feet as well as you think you can think on your feet. And there's really no honor in being able to do that. Spend some time ahead of time preparing what you're going to say. Yeah. Okay. All right. So we've covered that. Now let's go to these out of the ordinary kind of things. Really, surely someone in the chat room has had some of these occasions. I'll tell you one that I remember I, I wasn't there, but a friend of mine described it. It, it was just, it was just almost made to fall down laughing, but he, it was, he was a, a young teenager. He had just obeyed the gospel. And the first time he was called on to help pass the Lord's supper, it was a large congregation. I know the congregation is near where I grew up. And so he's passing the bread. Well, the, there was a man there known in that congregation. He was sort of the town drunk. And he showed up that Sunday morning for services. Well, he was just coming off a, a, a long drinking binge. He hadn't been eating. He'd been drinking. When the, when, they, when the plate with the bread came to him, he picked it up and crammed the whole thing in his mouth. <laughs> and then handed the empty tray to my friend, who was this young teenager. And he was dumbfounded. He didn't know what to do. And so he took the empty plate and passed it down the next aisle. <laughs> he said, luckily, the, the man at the other end of the aisle was a, was a you know, an older, experienced fellow who had the common sense to take his tray and break his piece of bread in half, put half in that empty tray and send it back down the row. But, you know, can you imagine, especially right. that the, first time. the first time a young kid uh, ever waited at the Lord's table? Yeah. Okay. All right. So things like that are going to happen uh, and probably happen more frequently than we would like for things like that to happen. Not the, not the drunk eating the bread, but just things happen. I, I, I tell you, I tell you something that I'm amazed does not happen more often. I, in, in my whole lifetime, I've only known it to happen once. Where a tray full of cups of the Lord's Supper was was dropped and spilled mm-hmm. out on the floor, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I, that's amazing to me. That in all the years I've had to experience this, I've only ever seen it happen once. Uh, to to that point, I would tell the men who are passing the Lord's Supper, use two hands, use yeah. two hands. All right. You know, I see these guys just kind of nonchalantly grabbing the tray with one hand, and I think use your you know, when we were coaching baseball, we always told the kids, two hands, use two hands. That way you're not going to drop the ball. I want to say use two hands on the tray. Hey, it's important. We're trying yeah. to do things decently in order here. Yeah. There's there's a lot at stake yeah. because our edification could be at stake. I mean, yeah. I mean one time, drop it, and boy, that's that ruins ruins it for everybody then. Yeah, the so, occasion, I remember where, where the tray was dropped. I mean, we, we, we jumped up. Cleaned up the mess as quickly as we could. The service went on. It was not a terrible distraction. I know the people who were involved felt badly about it, but I mean, it was unavoidable. You, you, you know, such thing. I, like I said, I'm amazed it doesn't happen more often. Uh, but do what you can but, to but prevent be it. But do, do your best to, to avoid it if you can. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, what about? He says, what if you uh, prayed for the bread instead of the fruit of the vine? Uh, in other words. Or what if 
along that same line, let's say somebody's up there, and they and I, hey, I know I I remember this happening before too. Uh, the the guy who's presiding at the table just sort of has a brain freeze, and he prays for the fruit of the vine first instead of the bread. What are you going to do? Yeah. Uh, again, let all things be done decently and in order. But I remember on that occasion someone speaking up and say, "Brother, so and so, we should we should." Partake the bread first, and he oh he was very grateful that it was called to his attention because it was it was completely a, a, a slip a, a slip, uh, and so I think that would be the thing to do you know if 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 the prayer was in a you know if they prayed for the wrong element or if they started to serve the wrong element, just a, a simple word and just as as uh, uh, unoffensively and unobtrusively as possible say brother let's 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 back up here and do this a different way yeah all right uh, let us know if you've uh if you've seen something unusual how it was handled how do we handle the unusual and unfortunate things that happen send them in the chat room if you want or give us a call uh yeah again decently in order and make sure that we're doing it the right way yeah um what if someone's been skipped well, you know, probably all of us have had the occasion maybe where we got skipped. And it's a simple thing to just raise your hand. And usually the guys who are passing that will see your hand. You don't even have to say anything. They'll see your hand. They'll, they'll realize they need to back up and make sure they serve you. But do that. I knew a woman one time who was very seriously offended because they didn't serve her the Lord's Supper. Yeah. Well, no one did that purposefully. It was an accidental oversight. She took great offense. At it. All she had to do was raise her hand. Right. And they was, oh, well, we forgot to pass that, that aisle. Right. So, you know, you, you, again, common sense would prevail. Um, but but if you did skip someone, make sure you, that, that, that be, be careful about that if you're in charge of passing. Yeah. What if you have, what if this occasion happens? And this would, this would particularly apply to uh, churches that observe the Lord's Supper first. We observe the Lord's Supper last here at College View. We never have to deal with this. But let's say you, the very first thing that you do in your Sunday morning worship assembly is observe the Lord's Supper. And you've already passed the bread. Now someone comes in the back door. Do we stop the whole proceeding to get them back to, to get the bread? My judgment on that is no. You know, uh, that that person, you know, had had a, an opportunity to be there with everybody right. else and keep the, the assembly in a decent, orderly way. I, my judgment on that would be, no, no, let's don't back up. You know, we're, we're moving. We're moving on. I, I, I would agree with that. Yep. Um, what if you run out of fruit of the vine? That's the one you usually run out of because you can make little crumbs, Josh. You can make little crumbs of the bread. I've never known anybody to run out of the bread. But I have none of them to run out of the cup. Uh, not enough cups were prepared ahead of time. Maybe you got an unexpectedly large crowd or something happens. So you, do you go back and make more? I think, yeah, you go back and quickly make more. But then he asks the question, do you have to pray over the new ones that have been poured into the cup? I th- my judgment on that would be no, because yeah. we've already prayed for what we're doing here. Yeah, I agree. You know, I, I didn't have to have it held in my hand. While I'm praying to make the prayer effective. Right. I, I would agree with that. Yeah, it's not uh, it's not something like the uh, Catholics or some of the denominations would do where there's something uh, there's some kind of my- mystical thing that's going to happen here. Uh, so and real quickly, we're going to have to hurry here. This is taking longer than I thought. He says, what about a visitor coming in late and asking for the Lord's Supper after the dismissal prayer? Yeah, that one I can answer. And that's uh, when you come together in one place. First Corinthians chapter 11. So yeah. it's not in the assembly. Yeah. Uh, so sorry, we can't help you with that. I very much think that the Lord's Supper is to be observed in the assembly. You know, when I was a kid where we attended on Sunday evening, uh, they, 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 they would dismiss the assembly and they, they would say, anybody who wants to take the Lord's Supper, meet up here in the front room. I was at a place not too long ago where they did that, I near think, where you grew up. But yeah, I, I think that's wrong. Yeah. I, I don't think that's appropriate at all. Yeah, It is in the assembly. Okay. Okay, when Jesus... Instituted the Lord's Supper, he blessed and gave thanks. What was he thanking for? The bread or his body, the fruit of his blood? What should be our focus? Yeah, uh, that's where I w- I'm going to put it back to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, or verse 10, I'm sorry, uh, where it says the cup of blessing, which we bless, is it not? So they're blessing the, the actual cup, not the, the blood. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
in Matthew 26, where Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, it says he blessed, he took bread, blessed it, break it, gave it to the disciples, saying, take eat this. So there it uses the word blessed. He took the cup, verse 27, and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying. So it uses both the word right. blessed and gave thanks. Right. Uh, but he was giving thanks for the symbolic representation. His, his body hadn't even been offered yet. His blood had not been shed yet. These were representative elements of that. He says, "Do we? is there a danger of crossing the line into transubstantiation? Well, yeah, I suppose if you let yourself, you could be in danger of that. But, not, you know, I've heard people who, who made a, a big matter out of saying, and saying you know, I, I've heard them scold men who said, Thank you for this bread, which represents your body. Uh, No, thank you for this bread, which represents the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, when we give, when we're praying, remember to direct your prayers to the Father. And it was not the Father's body and blood; it was Jesus's body and blood. We're talking to the Father, but we're talking about the body and blood of Jesus. I hear that messed up a lot at the Lord's table. Mm -hmm. We're not, you know, dear God, we thank you for this bread, which is your body. No, it's not the Father's body; it was the body of Jesus Christ. So, but. Uh, you know, they are, these are representations. They are not the literal body and blood of Jesus. And, and I don't think we, I, I think everybody understands that. And we're, we're, we're not practicing transubstantiation here as the Catholics do. It, it is still bread. It is still fruit of the vine. And it is still just represent, representative of his body and his blood. All right. Uh, we are running up against a break. I think we've got it all here. You know, there's a lot of different uh, questions, and so I don't know that we've answered nearly all of them here. Uh, Jeff says, we have a small congregation, and sometimes when we have more visitors than expected, those members who are married will share a cup to help make sure that there are enough cups. Well, that's a nice uh, gesture. Uh, thank you, Jeff, for that. And uh, Guest 19. Guest 19 posed the question, what are your thoughts on whether we ask God to bless it or whether we do the blessing? Uh, 19 says, I guess I'll try to answer my own question. Luke 22:19, and he took bread and gave thanks, and references the Greek word there. Uh, while the Greek uses two different words in Matthew and Mark, Luke uses the same word to give thanks for both the bread and the fruit of the vine. Not sure if you said it or not, but I think the overall emphasis on is on us giving thanks for the sacrifice. I, I would agree with that. Or the, for the sacrifice, well, for the bread. We can also give thanks for the sacrifice. Yeah. Um, Okay. His blood. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and you covered Jeff about. We did, Jeff. We did got Jeff. Uh, uh, yeah. You know, if, if if we're running low on cups and my wife and I share one, I don't see anything wrong with that. I mean, the, the yeah. cups are just an accommodation anyway. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Lots of well, lots of thoughts. Uh, you know, and people have lots of th- of uh, th- uh, things that they're concerned about with the Lord's Supper. I knew a lady who was very concerned that you not say that Jesus' blood was spilled. Because that sounded like an accident. It was shed. It wasn't yeah. spill. I mean, yeah. just lots of little preferences. I mean, and that, there's reason to be behind. I, I, I knew a, a man who was very upset if the bread was called a loaf because a, to him a loaf implied leaven. something with leaven <laughs> that had risen. Yeah. Well, I, I, again, I mean, we want to accommodate people. And if somebody has a problem with saying spilled, yeah. then I probably wouldn't say it. But I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Yeah. So. yeah. All right. All right. We're going to take a break and uh, get this week's bullet point. When we get back. Uh, we'll uh, get your thoughts. Uh, don't go anywhere. The Versa Bible Study continues right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's Bullet Point. Frequently we are asked about our practice of observing a cappella music in our worship services. Folks are curious. They want to know why we don't have instrumental music. Our practice is different. We're not like the majority of other religious groups. What's the reason? People really want to know. So they ask, why don't you use instrumental music? With no intention to be flippant, we might very well respond with the counter question, why should we? That's fair, isn't it? Those who think that instrumental music is right and proper ought to be able to tell us why they think so. When we ask the question, the typical responses are, we really like instrumental music. Be careful here. Remember that our goal is to please God, not men, not even ourselves. Galatians 1 verse 10. Others will say, well, Everyone else is using instrumental music. Anyone who thinks this proves the acceptability of a thing needs to be reminded that Jesus said the majority of people, even the majority of religious people, will be condemned in the day of judgment. Read Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. God gave certain people musical talent, they say, and they ought to be able to use it. If this logic works, then the fellow who is a talented mechanic would be justified in rebuilding a car engine during the worship services too. 
and the surgeon who wants to glorify God could do an appendectomy before the assembled congregation. Surely we can see the flawed thinking behind this argument. Others will say, well, they used instruments in the Old Testament. True, but remember, we're no longer under that law, Colossians 2, 14 through 16. We need to find our authority in the New Testament, and there is none. In the final analysis, everything we do religiously must be based upon the authority of the Lord, Colossians 3, verse 17. If we can't defend a practice by appealing to the Scriptures, then we ought not to do it. There is simply no New Testament authority for the use of instrumental music in our worship, and that settles it. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Hey, Mommy. I'm too old. Um, this is the virtual Bible study. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Colossians 3.17. Now, back to the program. Back on the program tonight. Uh, remind you, this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. If you've not ever been to our website, check it out. And if you've never sent us an email, send us one. Let us know where you're listening. And better yet, send us a question or a suggestion for a future edition of the Virtual Bible Study. Sometimes, you know, people see something in the news. They think that would make a good topic. Uh, send, it, send it in. Send it in. We might. Or spe- well, we, we love to have interviews, although it's very hard to get people. I tried to contact a fellow locally here, a denominational preacher, about an interview this week. No response. No yeah, response. I've done that. Very, very hard to get people who are willing to defend their practices in yeah. an interviews-type format. But if you know somebody who will, by all means, let's set it up. Yeah. I was in a service one time where... A gentleman posed the question, talking about the Lord's Supper, we just wrapped that up, said, you know, I wonder how many times the Lord's Supper has been taken since Jesus died on the cross. How many Lord's Days has it been? Well, I thought you could do the math, you know. Come close, anyway. Come close. A little over 103,000, which is a big number, but really, when you think about it, I mean, not a lot of times the Lord's Supper has been taken in the grand scheme of things. Oh, did you just calculate that? Yeah. A little over 100,000 times. Yeah. It's interesting, interesting, interesting how many Lord's Days there have been. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it is a special day, and we need to make sure that we reverence it and that we, uh, that we uh, are uh, doing things the way God would have us to do them. All right, we're going to move to a second category of questions that came. Now, these were, I've got four questions here, and these were all from, from different sources. They came in as sort of a follow-up. A few weeks ago, we did uh, several programs about marriage, and then we ended up talking about marriage and divorce and remarried. Mm-hmm. And we tried to talk about the general principles that govern that, and, and and we did not. We purposefully did not and said we would not get off into specific cases. But some people sent some in, and I, I thought we'd try quickly to deal with those. Uh, sort of as a... Uh, well, I don't know what I want to say. Sort of as a qualifier to anything that we might say is... We would not encourage anyone to take any risky position on divorce and remarriage. In other words, if you're in a situation and it's and you're and and you can't say with absolute certainty that you have a scriptural right to remarry, then don't do it. The absolutely safe course is not to remarry, and that we would encourage people not to remarry. Josh, you and I were talking about this beforehand, and I think you put it well. Yeah. My- Find somebody that you have the scriptural right to marry. Try to stay married to him. Marry him and stay God, married. That's right. That's <laughs> the way God intended it. Yeah. You know, you think about the people who have gone through divorces and remarriages, and there's a lot of heartache involved in that. I mean, no matter what the circumstances may be, that's a, that is a heartache problem for sure. People are not benefited by by breaking their marriage vows I mean, all that does is cause heartache and trouble. Yes. It always does. Always. Yeah. For generations. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, and be we, true to your vows and don't take chances, for crying out loud. Adulterers yeah. will not inherit the kingdom of God. Yeah. Now, you, oh, I just got to have a, a spouse. Yeah. Well, you're going to take the chance of going to heaven because you had to have a spouse so bad? Yeah. And I had to have this one that I don't know I had a right to? Right. Where I, I took a chance on my... Marriage, because I had to be, just don't be taking chances. Now, the reason I, we state that is because these questions, I know good brethren who take both sides of the questions we're about to try to deal with. Yep. And, and having said that, then I would say these are questionable areas. People are not confident in, in the conclusions about these questions. And, and therefore, 
tread carefully here for sure. Okay, so here's the first one. A woman divorces her husband, or it could be vice versa, for an unscriptural reason. Okay, it's an unscriptural divorce. She remains unmarried, and her husband eventually dies. Okay. Is she free to marry? Some point to Romans 7 as justification to remarry. So get the picture here. The woman divorces her husband for an unscriptural reason. She doesn't like him anymore. He has not been unfaithful to her. We said the only exception that allows for divorce and remarriage is is if you put away your guilty fornicating spouse. Only then can you remarry without sin. Matthew 19, 9, Matthew 5, 32. Right. So here's a woman. She didn't do that. She put her, her husband was not a guilty fornicator, but she put him away anyway. She didn't marry. She remained unmarried. Sometime later, that husband dies. Right. 20 years later, say, he dies. Can she remarry? Now, he says some may point to Romans 7 as justification to remarry. And I just want to remind our listeners about what Romans chapter 7 says. Romans chapter 7, verse 2. The woman which hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if a husband be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law so that she's no adulteress, though that she be married to another man. You know, when you read that, that almost sounds like it's exactly talking about the scenario that that's in that question. Yeah. Yeah. why couldn't she marry? She, she why couldn't she marry while her husband was living? Because she's still bound, right? But Romans chapter seven verses two and three says that you, you're not bound to a dead person, right? And so I would my my thinking on that. And again, I I've got people I deeply respect and love who take an opposite view of this. My thinking on that is that Romans seven would argue that. Once that spouse that you're bound to yeah. is dead, you're not bound anymore. And if you, you know, what what what's the problem when you, if you marry someone else while you're bound to, to a different person, bound to one, married to a different one, that's adultery. But in this case, you're not bound to anybody, and it would seem to me that that might allow for remarriage. But I, I'm telling you, I, I'm not going to take that chance if I'm in that circumstance. Right, right. It's a uh, academically, you can see. Potentially the position, but would would I do it in in those circumstances? Probably not. Yeah. So, all right. so but Romans chapter seven is is the is the text that has to be used to decide that uh, and decide what you think. Uh, so, some people take the position on that they they don't go to Romans seven. They just say, well, she did an un, she, she she did a thing which which puts her in a circumstance to never be able to marry again. Yeah. Uh, in other words, a, 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 an ongoing consequence of a decision that she made. I can see that, but Romans chapter 7, I think, would would be the other argument. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Jim. From Kansas City. Kansas City. Missouri or Kansas? Kansas. Kansas City, Kansas. Kansas. Actually, a suburb south of Kansas City. Kansas, Lenexa. C- Kansas City, Kansas. Uh, Jim says, I believe the common position is the reason she could not remarry while he lived was because her marriage was never really scripturally abolished, and therefore she would be guilty of adultery if she did marry. If this is a true statement, then Romans 7 would abolish the marriage at his death, and she would should be free scripturally. I think Jim is explaining the same thing that we're trying to explain okay. there. But I, 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 I just got to reiterate this because I don't, I don't want anybody to say, well, Greg said you, I could, so I am. No. no, don't do that because I think it's a very iffy thing. I, 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 I'm not, I'm not comfortable with that. I wouldn't want to be in that circumstance. I wouldn't want to face the Lord in judgment, uh, uh, having taken any chance at all in regards to that matter. So I, don't use me as justification for that position. I'm just explaining how that position is, can be argued. Yes, but not. but if you didn't remarry, you'd be safe. You'd be safe for sure. And so that's what. You know, that's the key. Guest 9998 says, I think she could not, and references Matthew 19.9. So this listener's taking that position you express where there, there is a permanent consequence of the divorce that was unscriptural. Yeah. Okay, so go go back there to Matthew 19.9 and, and, and read this one. In Matthew 19.9, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and marry another, commits adultery. Well, if you just take that statement... 
Yeah. It doesn't say anything about living or dead. Right. In other words, that person divorced his wife, and it wasn't for fornication. And he, when he marries another, he commits adultery. Right. And so if you took that argument as a standalone, then you would come to the position, no. But I do I think, think if you put Romans 7 with the equation, you can understand then commentary on why it is adultery yeah. in Matthew 19.9. Yeah. But again, they're safe than sorry. Yeah, better safe than sorry. Don't, do not take chances with your soul. Right. Uh, guest 8742 says, here's the problem. The person is no longer married. They are divorced. How does the death of the former spouse change the fact that she's unscripturally divorced? She does not become a widow. She remains the one to whom, to who, whoever marries her that is put away right. commits adultery. Right, and that's that would be the position from Matthew 19.9. Yeah. Although Romans chapter 7, you'd have to ask, how could that situation take place if she didn't get a divorce, right? Yeah. But uh, then the, the converse of that would be, well, uh, Romans 7 talking about someone who was married until the end, yeah, and yeah. then she got married. That, so, that's, yeah. what, that's what they would say. Yeah. But I do think you have to deal with uh, what what makes it adultery. And as we studied that a few weeks ago, we said clearly adultery is when you're bound to one but married to a different one. Right. That's adultery. But but Romans 7 would argue you can't be bound to a dead person, right? Josh, any thoughts on that? I, I disagree with you guys. I mean, you can't be bound to a dead person. So. Yeah. Um, but again, I, I want to make it so clear. I'm not I'm not recommending somebody rush out and get married in that circumstance. I think it's iffy. I think it's an iffy thing, and I'm not going to take that chance. And I'm not going to recommend anybody take that chance. Yeah, agree. All right, let's let's catch our last break. We got to go quick. We got three more questions of that of okay. that sort. All right, all right. We'll take a break. We'll get your thoughts on the other side as we go to the top of the hour. And after that train boost, uh, that train gets out of here, we'll get our, we'll get your thoughts. We'll be back right after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. Hello, everyone. I'm Monty, a member of the College View Church of Christ. So you've been hearing all about the College View Church of Christ on the virtual Bible study and are interested in finding out more about the church. But you live hundreds of miles away from Columbia, Tennessee, and can't come and visit with the congregation to find out more. There's no reason to fear. After all, we live in the 21st century. Here's what you can do to find out more about the College View Church of Christ. First, why don't you check out our website while you're listening to the virtual Bible study. You'll find important information about the church there, including bulletin articles there on various subjects and can even listen to sermons that have been presented at the College View Church in the past. Secondly, if you have questions about the church or about any Bible teaching, why don't you send an email to us and let us know how we can help. Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. That address, once again, is questions at collegeview.com. We can even have a personal Bible study with you over email if you desire. And finally, if you would rather talk with someone in person, give us a call at 931-381-4567. That's 931-381-4567. You can call this number anytime. If you don't get an answer, leave a message and we'll call you back as soon as we can. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study and hope to hear from you soon. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. When asked if they have a personal responsibility to share their faith with others, 73% of self-identified Christians say yes. But when this conviction is put into practice, the numbers shift downward. Only half, 52%, say they actually did share the gospel at least once this past year to someone with a different belief. That information is via Barna.org. The Word of God says in Mark 5:19. Go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The virtual Bible study continues. We're back on the top, going to the top of the hour, we're in a foot race here to get the rest of these uh, underway. So just, some disagreements in the chat room again. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Because we're not taking an adamant position on these. We're just trying to explain what we see as potential uh, factors in making a determination. We're not saying what we would do if we were in that yeah, situation. Yeah, well, I'm tell you what I'm going to do. Well, I mean, yeah, right. We would say we'd take the safe route on it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, question uh, uh, 8742 in the chat room says, who's the put-away fornicator bound to? The put-away fornicator is bound concerning their first mate. Right. Uh, bound so long as he lives, Romans 7, verse 2 says. So uh, the, the put-away fornicator is bound... There's a difference between married and bound. And the 
put away fornicators bound concerning her first husband. She's not loosed to, in the sense of being free to remarry. Okay. We talked about that when right. we talked about that a couple weeks ago. Your next question. Okay. John has an affair and Sally divorces him. I would not want to marry Sally if I was John. John Bad has, things are going to happen in that relationship. It always happens. John and Sally have trouble. Oh, yeah. Don't, but John is always the guy who's the bad John's guy. A, well, that's true. So Sally, don't marry John. <laughs> yeah, if, yeah okay. okay. Okay, John has an affair and Sally divorces him. Sally remarries and John repents and remains single. Sally later dies. Is John eligible for remarriage according to Romans 7? And that's really the same question, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and And everything we said... Uh, would, you you got to take Romans seven verses two and three into consideration, and, and even those in our chat room who who are bringing up the other side of this argument, that's fine, and I understand the other side of this argument, and I'm, I'm very sympathetic to that side of the argument. Says don't ever remarry, but you got to take Romans seven two and three into consideration. I mean, it's in the text. You can't just ignore that it's there. It's got to mean something. Yeah, but, and my I would, yeah, and I would lean towards. The other side of this equation, because John has been put away, that I could see some residual consequences of that from yeah. Matthew chapter yeah. 19. You know, the, marries and I think that's away. a strong or argument, or and the people who make it make a strong yeah. argument. Again, but Whoever anyway. marries the put-away person commits adultery. He's yeah. a put-away person. Now, after he's been put away, it doesn't matter what else happens. He is then and forevermore a put-away person. So, yeah, so I could so, that, so would be, that would be my leaning on that. Yeah. Again, that, I'd, I'd want to take the safe route, so go ahead. Yeah, yeah okay. All right. All right. Now, let's go to number three. The only divorce there is to be is when it's for the cause of fornication. We agree. What if a Christian, knowing this teaching, divorces their mate for some other cause? Can they repent and obtain forgiveness when the divorce was entered into willfully? Okay. So here, I think, let me see if I can sort of flesh out this scenario. I know that I don't have a right to divorce my wife. Yeah. But I tell you, she's burned the biscuits one time too many, and I'm done with this. Mm-hmm. And I know it's a sin. Uh, I, I, I know what the Bible says about that. I don't have a right to divorce her, uh, but I'm going to anyway. Yes. Can I rep- And so I do it. Can I later repent and obtain forgiveness when I entered into that act willfully? Yes. I think the answer is yes. I mean, make it a different sin. I know it's a sin to, to lie. But I'm going to tell this lie because it, uh, in telling this lie, I'll protect myself from trouble and I'll maybe me- make some money under the table. I know I shouldn't lie, but I'm going to lie anyway. Well, if I later repent of that, can I be forgiven of having told? Yeah, you can be re- you can for- be forgiven of any sin that you repent. Rome, First Corinthians chapter seven enumerates this condition explicitly, doesn't it? And verses 10 and 11, and to the married, I command yet not I let the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband, but and if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, let not the husband put away his wife. Isn't that the the scenario there? Don't get a divorce, but if you get a divorce, you can repent, and you need to try and be reconciled or remain unmarried. Yeah, yeah. And that text... But but that's not... We don't need to enter into this (laughs) as like, well... I'll do it and then get forgiveness of it. Yeah. That, I mean, that's my that's my out here. Yeah. 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 In other words, uh, that's sort of like... I'll tell a lie and then I'll ask for forgiveness. Or Yeah. I don't like this guy, so I'll kill him and then I'll ask for forgiveness. Right. Yeah. So okay. We're not talking about premeditated sin. Right. Yeah. Premeditating <laughs> your sin and re- your repentance. Right, yeah. Uh, okay, Here, here's along that same line. It goes... And the text you mentioned in 1 Corinthians 7... Uh, is is involved here can a scripturally divorced couple remarry each other with god's approval well now first corinthians 7 would be an unscripturally divorced right couple. now that's the thing in first corinthians 7 this was clearly not a divorce for fornication because the woman was told not to do it so she had no authority to do it so clearly her husband was not a fornicator fornication was not involved to the married uh I command yet not I but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. Well, she could depart from her husband if he was a fornicator. So clearly, let not That's the wife not depart here. means that the husband was not a fornicator. Right. But she divorces him anyway. What should she do? Remain unmarried. Notice they were, they're they now unmarried. They shouldn't have done it. Right. But they, they are now unmarried. Uh, remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. Yeah. So 
Romans 7 would apply to an unscriptural divorce. They shouldn't have separated. They should, have, should not have divorced anyway. They should come back together. Right. Right. But now our questioner asks, what about a scripturally divorced couple? So here's a man, and he cheated on his wife, and she divorced him for that reason. Mm-hmm. She put him away as a fornicator. Can now they remarry? Yeah. And, and, and the... And the the phrase at issue is again from Matthew nineteen nine. Whoever marries the one who is put away doth commit adultery. In other words, so she put him away for fornication. He's now a put away fornicator. Yep. And Matthew nineteen nine says, Whosoever marries the one put away doth commit would that be would that whosoever include the first wife if she decided to marry to get married to him again? Yeah. Well, if you took Matthew nineteen nine at face value, I think you could you could come to that conclusion pretty easily. The only the only the only thing I would ask is what would what's wrong with someone marrying that put away fornicator? Well that put away fornicator's bound concerning a previous spouse. And so if you married that put away fornicator, you'd you'd be in a situation where he's married to one person but bound to a different person. But if his first wife married him again, he'd be bound and married concerning the same person. And so that doesn't seem to be an adulterous situation. However, I don't think it's clear. I think it, I think it's another one of these iffy scenarios. I'm going to say I'm not going to I'm not going to recommend it. Okay. But I just want I just want to point out that you know the the reason why he might be able to is because it is again to this bound and married difference. And if his first wife married him back again, even though she had initially put him away for fornication, he and she would both be bound and married to the same individuals. And that's that's the scriptural arrangement. The only the but the other side of that argument is whosoever marries the one put away doth commit adultery. Yeah. And that leaves it in question. All right. All right. So. What are we going to do? We're going to take the safe route. Can you make some arguments? Uh, yeah, you can make some arguments. Uh, Jim, we've skipped his. Uh, to number two, about the John and Sally where they divorce and uh, die. Yeah, he says that's the same question. Same question as yeah. number one right. with Romans 7, he thinks. Number three, uh, what about uh, a Christian who knowingly no- divorces their wife or their husband unscripturally and then repent? Can they obtain forgiveness? When they entered into it willfully, Jim says, I believe the scripture teaches we can receive forgiveness of any sin we repent of and confess to God. Since there is no continuation of this sin, the answer should be yes. And number four, the one we just talked about, can a scriptural couple remarry each other? Scripturally divorced couple remarry each other with God's approval. Again, the answer is yes. If the conditions stated in my answer to number one are true. About Romans 7 and I believe Matthew 19. Yeah. I believe they are. Therefore, my answer yeah. is yes. So, so. I, I, I would technically agree with Jim's conclusion on that, too. But I, I cannot state this enough. We're not in the business of recommending people in those kind of scenarios to just rush out and get married. They're, the fact that good and sincere Bible students have issues with those kind of scenarios that we've just tried to describe should be a huge big red warning flag don't just be going about willy-nilly uh, divorcing and remarrying that's that, first of all we know that's not god's intention anyway be be very cautious take the infallibly safe route if you stayed unmarried in those situations you'd be right and couldn't possibly be wrong Guest 8742 says if the put away fornicator is bound in their first marriage who is the former spouse bound to when they remarry? Well, they're bound by the law, according to Romans chapter seven. We're bound to God, uh, not to the former yeah. spouse. That yeah. that, that, that yeah. relationship well, yeah, has yeah, been. Do, do a little research on. I, I think that all goes to the the difference between being married. and You've got bound. some charts. If the listeners would like those, you can send on this subject. Yeah. Questions can. at collegeu.com. If you got questions about that, we can provide you those charts. Yeah. Okay. Josh, your comments before we conclude tonight. What? Uh, yeah, I just the only thing I was thinking about was question three. Uh, willfully, I mean, any sin, any sin that we do is a is a. I mean, I guess I could sin in ignorance of God's law, but when I sin, it's because I've chosen to to do wrong. So I just think I think that's a simple answer. I can get forgiveness. Yeah, I think that's right. Play the safe route. Right, safe route. That's your yeah. final your final that's my answer. final thought. Yeah, just play it safe. I mean, your soul's not worth having another marriage that may be questionable. Right. 
Good. All right. Um, guest 8742 says, are you not a little uncomfortable with the bound and unbound arguments that, that you leave commenting that in you would not recommend it? Yeah, yeah, I'm not comfortable with that. I'm not rec- I'm not recommending it, but I'm just explaining how that there's two sides to that question and and how that an argument is made from Romans chapter 7 in particular about being bound and, and unbound. Okay. All right, good discussion tonight. Uh good questions. Thanks to those listeners who supply them. See, there are no stupid questions on the virtual Bible study. Well, I mean, we have. If they're stupid, we just don't air them. Yeah, uh, well, if there's, uh, but there may we, we may not get the right answer out there. But there we'll might be stupid best. answers, yeah. but uh, <laughs> you can correct us in the chat room with that. So if you've got questions you'd like to discuss or suggestions, questions at collegeview.com is the email address to use. One of uh, bumper sticker, questions at collegeview.com is the email address to use. Just want to tell us you're out there and you're listening, questions at collegeview.com is the address. In fact, questions at collegeview.com is the only address to use. And this, all your feedback. It should be questions and anything else at, at collegeview.com. All right, thanks for the discussion tonight, Dan. Thanks, Jacob. Thank you for listening. Hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. Make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.